0: just shot my kids. There's blood Mark! Oh.
1: Judy, call a cold. It's bad. I was trying to get help. I was leaning on the horn. I couldn't move. I just couldn't make my legs move. What's going on? Oh, these kids have been shot. We might have fallen us you better call the police somebody get some help hi guys what you just heard was a piece of the movie small sacrifices featuring farrah fawcett that is based on our story that we are doing now of diane downs yeah and this is part two of diane downs so welcome thank you for coming back to listen to the second part
0: so just a little brief recap of part one we talked about Diane Downs, how she grew up. She had three kids with her, well, two kids with her ex-husband, a third kid with another man that her ex-husband basically fathered, and then we find out closer to the end that she, um, she killed one.
1: Um, two of them were severely wounded, so yes. we're going to pick up. She tried to blame it on the bushy-haired stranger. The BHS is what they call them. Yes. Um, and said that he flagged her down the middle of the road and shot her children. And Diane Downs was a very, I don't even know what the word is, like sociopath, psychopath, narcissistic. Narcissistic, good one.
0: Everything. I mean,
1: she based, I think, everything that she did off of emotion. You'll no, hear SpaceX. Thank you, SpaceX. It is 2 30 on a Monday, <laughs> and they never do it at this time, and here we are recording. So if you hear a slight rumble, it it's is. It's not our tummies. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it is space sex. So, she, I think she just lived off emotion. Whatever emotion she was feeling at the time is, like, what she went with. And the affair with the married man and, uh, you know, and I think she used being pregnant as feeling loved. Yes. I think she used sex as love. I think she confused the two. Mm-hmm. And I think her being able to carry children and get pregnant whenever she wanted to because she was a very fertile person. Obviously. That, to her, was her way of feeling loved. So Absolutely. Anyway, so, all right, let's get started on part two here. We're going to be getting to the part where the uh, investigators are trying to put together their case to arrest Diane, uh, which was not an easy task. Not at all. In June, Assistant DA Fred Hughey met with the investigation squad to review his findings. Whether or not to arrest Diane Downs was the issue unsettled. He wanted to see her taken in, but not at the expense of the county office, which would take extreme heat if the case were thrown out in a pretrial. Nonetheless, Hughie and his men were convinced she was guilty, but they feared that without the presence of a murder weapon or a viable witness who literally saw her do the shooting, much of what they had gathered to date would be, in all fairness, considered circumstantial evidence and unacceptable in an American courtroom. Not enough to convict. The team examined what they had collected so far, among the evidence of a small number of twenty two caliber bullet casings found on Old Mohawk Road, a very graphic display of carnage in Diane's red Nissan Pulsar, they don't even make those anymore, do they? No. Okay. <laughs> the estimation of the bullet's path from an accepted authority, a diary that screamed Diane's obsession with her ex-lover, and her letters colored with pornographic daydreams, and testimony from two men, Steve Downs and her former lover, who swore she indeed owned something she continued to disclaim as a twenty-two caliber handgun. The most expensive piece of evidence came from the pen of forensic expert, Jim Pecks wrote that it was his estimation that some of the unfired twenty-two caliber shells found in Diane's home had once been worked through the mechanism of the same gun that shot the children. So I'm guessing she put them in there and then taken them out? Is that... Or were they spent casings? I think maybe... Because it says unfired
0: twenty-two caliber
1: shells found in Diane's home had once been worked through the mechanism of the same gun that shot the children. So I'm Mm, guessing they were put the magazine and then taken out? Yeah. Impressive, But until the very gun was retrieved, Hughie knew the court would refute it. Investigators had also been able to shed doubt on Diane's story that she immediately raced for the hospital after the attack on her kids. By testimony of hospital personnel, she arrived outside the ER that fateful night at roughly 10.48 p.m. screaming, somebody just shot my kids. Estimated time she had left the Plord's home was, according to Heather Port herself, at 9.45 p.m. The detectives knew that the shooting then must have occurred at approximately 10.15 in order to give Diane enough time to regather her senses, survey the conditions of her kid, and then drive, as she claimed, immediately to Mackenzie Williamette Hospital to reach it by 10.48 p.m. But in the meantime, a witness had come forward explaining that he had seen what he was sure was Diane's red Nissan near 10.20 p.m., moving very slowly, 5 to 7 miles an hour, along Old Mohawk Road. The car, said the witness, Joseph Inman, wasn't driving erratically. Another tale, but so far, just a tell.
0: But the legal wheels behind Hugie believed that Diane was guilty, and the DA maneuvered the wheels to show his support of the long hours his assistant was dedicating to catch a child killer. In Lane County, a grand jury assembled behind closed doors. The panelists wanted to hear directly from those main players. That list of testifiers that Hughie had given the DA, among them her former lover, Mr. Inman, Heather Plored, Jim Pex, and others. Eventually, Diane Downs herself. Other positive things were happening. County Judge Gregory Foote placed the two surviving Downs youngsters in the protective custody of the state's Child Services Bureau. This meant that, for the meantime, Diane was not allowed to see her kids. That she felt she was being treated like a criminal was, in reality, a nose thumb by Hughie after she violently threatened to remove the children from the hospital and take them away if detectives wouldn't stop hounding her.
1: She just thought she had every right to those children. Yeah. Even after what she had done to them.
0: Pray, pray. Yeah, she was definitely...
1: Danny, still confined to his bed, was given full protection by the police department until he would be medically released, at which time he would follow his sibling in a suitable foster family. The home where Christy was transported was kept a secret, her whereabouts known by only a few authorities. In the middle of the grand jury's summons process and the ongoing search for more evidence, and particularly the vanished gun, the sheriff's office announced layoffs. State funds dropped and Paul Alton was laid off. Doug Welch and another of Hugie's top men, Kurt West, were given a month's notice. All of Hugie's investigators, in fact, were being let go or redeployed. That's so sad. That is very sad, but that's, I mean, I guess that happened back then. Yeah. I mean, they had to make cuts and... I'm sure there was somewhere else in that county they could have cut to save some dollars, but instead they're going to cut their law enforcement. Right. Throughout the coming winter and into the spring of 1984, Diane was fast becoming the media's favorite star. Throughout the coming winter and into the spring of 1984, Diane was fast becoming the media's favorite star. Some distrusted her, but to most, she was a bouncy, maybe not in distress, but picked on by old mean Uncle Sam who couldn't find the bushy-haired piece of mythology. Because she looked like Princess Diana, she became the darling fashion plate of the American Pacific Coast. Les trivial papers called her Princess Di, D-I-E. Hmm. But Hughie saw her as anything but a princess, a good or a bad one. She was more like the Wicked Witch, creating havoc at every point in her life. Her kids had been swept away from her custody. She was indigent and sought revenge. She balked to the press that she was misunderstood was a victim of prejudice and harassment. Ignoring her bravado, Hughie let the, her talk, refusing to back down. For that matter, he endeavored to bite her every footstep, and that is why he chose to let investigators Welch and West turn up the heat before they surrendered to the layoff. They dogged her, which really—I mean—they're fixing to be laid off anyway, so why not just go yeah. after her full force and do what you got to do to yeah. try to get your answers? Go for the blood, exactly.
0: Finally, Diane Downs called for what she hoped would turn into a peace treaty, a meeting with the two detectives to explain her side of the story and pass on further information she had not divulged since the night of the attack on Old Mohawk Road. At first, the detectives bought it, hoping this new revelation might produce something startlingly new. But sensing they were being conned, the session led to what would become known, according to Ann Rule, as, quote, the hardball interview. At the parley, Diane explained that she believed the killer was someone she might have known. He had called her by name. If true, this information would have made a great impact on the entire case. But, to the two men gathered in their office with her, it was a clear charade, an attempt to delay the proceedings she felt moving against her and possibly even throw the investigation off her trail altogether. Insulted, her listeners turned the table and fell upon Diane verbally with such an interrogation she was left the deceived instead of the deceiver. Why was she telling them this now? She didn't know. Hmm. How did he know what road she was going to take home from Heather's? She didn't know. Was he a friend from Oregon or Arizona? She didn't know. What purpose would he have to kill her kids? She didn't know. Did she really rush to the hospital immediately after the kids were shot or did she pause a while again? She didn't know. Why didn't she try to stop the gunman when he began blasting away at the kids in the Nissan? She didn't know the answer to that either.
1: And because he didn't exist.
0: Exactly. And when they asked her point blank if she tried to kill her kids because they ruined her chances with her lover, well, she had an answer to that. She called them names and threatened them and told them they were all effed up and stormed out. Whether or not it was a ploy for sympathy, just in case she needed some in the event of a jury trial, or whether she merely needed to feel that love once again within her, she went out and got pregnant, once again from one of her favorite studs. (laughs) I mean, seriously. That sounds like a horse. (laughs) That's exactly what I thought. I mean, good Lord. She made sure to explain the symbolic meaning of her action to a TV reporter. Quote, I got pregnant because I miss Christy and I miss Danny and I miss Cheryl so much. You can't replace children, but you can replace the effect that they give you. And they give me love. They give me satisfaction. They give me stability. They give me a reason to live and a reason to be
1: happy. And that is... She's a control freak. Because yeah. Because if things do not go her way, she will find a way to make them go her way.
0: Yeah. And a reason to perhaps escape death row, Hughie sneered, watching her performance on the tube. This is true,
1: too. Yeah. Polly Krogdahl, the counselor put in charge of mentally raising Christy from her nightmares, was making excellent progress in the meantime. The child began to talk, to remember, to face reality. While Krogdahl tiptoed through her treatment, avoiding the murder scenario for a long time, She got Christy to speak about her family life and her mother. Christy admitted that Diane had hit her and her brothers and sister lots. And when the day had come, the therapist asked her to recall what happened the night of what Christy called that terrible thing. Was there anyone there that night that you didn't know, said Crogdahl, referring to a stranger on the dark road. No, the girl answered. Were Danny and Cheryl crying? No. Why wasn't Cheryl crying, she asked. Dead was all Christy said. A pause, then softly. Do you know who was shooting Christie? I think, but Christy could not muster the words. Crocodile did not push and let it go for now. I mean, can you imagine she's six and a half to tell them that her mother did this? I
0: know. It's so sad. I and, can't you know, even. She suffered
1: that stroke, so I know she had some speech issues. And, yeah. You know, kind of like when an older person has a stroke and it affects them. I mean, this is a small child. And she's having these effects. Hughie decided to bite the bullet. Experts told him that he had enough evidence, and they believed he had a strong case. But he would need to have to recreate that terrible thing in court piece all the puzzle fragments together in such a way that the panel of jurors saw what he saw and totally believed it. The grand jury was wrapping up after nine months of interviews. It spoken to, quizzed, and deliberated on the words of many, including Diane Downs, and balanced at the end of the nine months the tomes of testimony they possessed. They handed down an indictment, one charge of murder, two charges of attempted murder, and two charges of criminal assault. Bam. Yep. You going down.
0: what? What? The state of Oregon was going for the child killer's throat. On February 28, 1984, police cuffed Diane as she was alighting from her car in the parking lot of the post office. District Attorney Pat Horton, along with Lane County Sheriff David Burks, hosted a press conference following Diane's arrest. Horton told the press, The one thing that underscored this investigation is patience. The real battle is in the courtroom. Reporters were there by the droves, salivating over the battle indeed to come. Their newspapers and their magazines already announced that Diane Downs had been taken into custody and that, hell, the lookalike Princess Di might very well be a murderess after all. Time magazine was there, and the Washington Post was there, and journalists from city papers as far away as New York City were there. Most were professional in their reporting, while some, tabloid-like, tumbled across both Springfield, Oregon, and Chandler, Arizona, finding anyone who knew Diane Downs or even talked to her once. When the Eugene Register Guard found Diane's father, Wes Frederickson, the paper noted he was gallant to the end. Quote, if my daughter did it, then I believe, in fact, she should pay. But nothing can take away the love a father has
1: for his kids. And that says that dad knows she did it. Yep. (laughs) Because if my child had been accused of something that I know damn good and well they hadn't committed, you would hear a lot more from (laughs) me than that. I know that's right. I mean, really.
0: In the wake of the
1: impending trial, Diane sought as
0: her counselor the brilliant and highly esteemed attorney, Melvin Belly. Because of the high-profile case the Downs case generated, Belly wanted to take it on. But he had personal plans, unbreakable, and would defend Diane only if the trial could be postponed a couple of months after the already slated May 1984 calendar. I mean, because apparently he thinks he's gone. Yeah. The courts refused to budge. Hughie had waited long enough, and delaying it might mean delaying it again for the pregnant Diane to give birth. Too much work had been expended. Too many people's time to delay the inevitable. Everybody just have to put everything on hold for her, right? Uh, apparently. Or so she thinks.
1: Right. Fred Hughey had 24 volumes of evidence, statements, follow-ups, transcripts of tapes, and mountains of possibilities to be winnowed down and shaped and molded for this case. Asserts Ann Rule in Small Sacrifices. One of my favorite books. Mm-hmm. He would work 18 to 24 hour days and so with the rest of his team. Diane was forced to find another lawyer quickly. She chose criminal attorney Jim Jagger, a man noted for his down-home but effective manner. What was to be a six-week trial opened May 10, 1984, in Eugene at the Lane County Courthouse, courtroom number three, the largest of the rooms of justice in the old building. The jury panel consisted of nine women. Judge Foote, the man who had taken Christy and Danny Downs from their suspect mother presided. Young and tense, he was noted for his fairness. The citizenry of the county turned out for the sensation. People across America were still divided over the guilt and innocence of Diane Downs. Was she a martyr or a devil? In those no-names who shared the spectator's seats with the paparazzi, the witnesses and the families felt honored. In his opening remarks, Fred Hughey presented a motive, a fixation for a married man who felt that her kids would not be part of their fantasy life, and a method, the 22 caliber Ruger pistol that she had bought in Arizona and denied having owned an organ. He read passages from her diary screaming her love for a man who didn't want her, and to some dismay of the court, he read aloud Diane's masturbation poem. He promised to paint over the next weeks a real picture of the cruelty that made Diane Downs tick. Counsel for the defense, Jagger conceded. In turn, there had been an obsession, but not so dark as to have led his client to destroy the three people she loved the most in the world, even beyond her lover, her own children. He pointed to her childhood, to her alleged molestation as a child, even to her promiscuity that he saw as irrelevance to that dysfunctional experience. But a murderous? No. For he intended to show that Diane's story of a man on Mohawk Road with a gun was not just a fairy tale. At one point during the trial, the prosecutor presented a tape of the Duran Duran hit Hungry Like a Wolf, which Christie said was playing when the attack took place. Quote, On the tape, there are snare drums that sound like gunshots and little cries that sounded like kids screaming or calls rule. And I looked around, the jury was pale green, and the press was pale green. And I looked at Diane. She was snapping her fingers and tapping her foot and singing along. Of all the courtroom dramas I've been to, this was the most dramatic. Courtroom proceedings paused on May 14th so that the jurors could experience for themselves the physical scene of the crime. Hughey transported them via a chartered bus to Old Mohawk Road, parallel to the river. Though daylight, the prosecutors insinuated the state of the road at the time of the shootings, Relating the ebony of the night, the loneliness, the sparks of gunfire that shattered the gloom, and the high emotion. Before the day ended, jurors were then led to the county auto pond to see the red Nissan death car. He wanted them to gaze into the interior and to feel the kid's terror. I mean... That's... I mean, that'll affect anybody. Yeah. Sure or not.
0: Yeah. Back in court... During the week, the first of the state's witnesses were brought forth. They comprised mostly personnel from McKenzie Willamette Hospital where Cheryl Downs died and where doctors struggled to save the other two Downs children. Nurse Rose recalled Mother Diane's peculiar attitude toward what had just happened. Quote, she asked how the children were, and I told her the doctors were in there working on them, Martin remembered. Quote, and then she, the mother, laughed and And she said, only the best for my kids. And she laughed again and said, well, I have good insurance.
1: Who thinks of something like that when your three children have been shot? A crazy person. Oh, psychopath.
0: Dr. John Mackey, who was in charge of the ER the evening of the murder, described the children's chest wounds and the medical team's first spontaneous efforts at life-saving. He then recollected his observation of Diane. Quote, she was extremely composed. She was unbelievably composed. I couldn't believe she was a family member. There were no tears, no disbelief, no, quote, why did this happen to me? X-ray technician Carlene Elbridge could not get over the fact that Diane, a mother of three severely wounded youngsters, complained about having to be seen in public without makeup. Oh, Narcissus. Yes. Throughout the trial, witnesses came and went, each making an impact, some more than others. But the high point, the turning point, the riveting point, came when Christy Downs was brought to the stand. Quivering, tear-streaked, she was ushered to the stand by Fred Hughie. It was clear that he detested the moment to bring a child face-to-face against her mother, but the moment was needed if American justice was to be played out. Hughie, pale, jaw-tight, but with a fatherly voice, led the examination of little Christy Downs. From time to time, he handed her Kleenex while she paused to wipe her cheeks. He waited until she regained herself whenever she broke down, usually after her eyes and her mother's momentarily met. He didn't rush her, and he remained gentle. When she spoke, and her voice might be muffled under her sobs, he tried the question so that the jurors would completely understand ten tabulation of that tiny voice. He was very caring to her. Yes, he was. He loved this little child. It was obvious in the way he looked at her and spoke to her.
1: The courtroom inhaled and didn't seem to exhale until it was over. And then, especially then, breath came short. Hughie began by explaining to the girl the importance of telling the truth on the stand. She understood. Giving her time to relax and her voice to become sufficiently audible to the courtroom, he then asked her several routine questions about her family, her schooling, and herself. Feeling that she was ready for the heavy stuff, he maneuvered into the day of the crime, her visit with her family to Heather Plord's home on Sunderman Road in order to give Miss Plord the clipping from the newspaper about the horse rentals. Christie was visibly shaken. Yuki patted her shoulder and gave her a reassuring smile. He gave her a reassuring smile. He gave her a moment to recover before proceeding. Reassuring that she was okay. He resumed his line of questioning about what Diane did with her children. She leaned over to the back of the seat and shot Danny, Christie said. What happened then? What happened after Danny was shot? Hughie prompted her. Then, under her tears, and Hughie hugged her, knowing this must come and wanting to get it over with, he gave her time to find her voice again. Thinkly, sympathetically, he went on. He gingerly rephrased the question, for by this time the court had already gathered what Diane Downs did after she shot Danny. Do you remember when you got shot? Hughie asked her. Yes, she answered. And who shot you? My mom, she simply explained.
0: That's so sad. No, it's... Imagine that, having to get up there as a young child to say that your mother shot you. She's extremely brave. Yes. Extremely brave. After that pathetic moment, the tone for the rest of the trial was set. Everything else, all other words were anticlimactic. Diane Downs was as guilty as sin. Outside the walls of the courtroom, too, Americans who had refused to believe that a mother could consciously pull a trigger on three harmless children, her children surrendered. She had been vilified justly, and the cross that they thought was being nailed together to crucify a martyr became suddenly an instrument of deserved justice. On June 14, 1984, Judge Foote read aloud the jury's unanimous verdict guilty of attempted murder in the first degree, guilty of a second account of attempted murder in the first degree. Guilty of first degree assault. Guilty of another count of first degree assault. Guilty of murder. Again, ma'am. Woo Going down. Yeah. Oregon at the time did not impose the death sentence, but oh, in the sub- I know,
1: right? <laughs> like, get with the program, Oregon. Anybody that deserved it. Oh yeah. Thank God she went in Texas. Right. But in the subsequent sentencing,
0: the judge sought to deprive Diane Downs from the daylight of liberty forevermore. After decreeing a life term plus an additional 50 years for using a firearm, he expressed, quote, The court hopes the defendant will never again be free. I've come as close to that as possible.
1: Go, Judge. Yep.
0: Between the verdict and the sentencing, the court recessed while Diane gave birth to a beautiful child whom she named Amy. The father of the baby denied her, and in time, a caring family adopted Amy. Who can be found doing interviews with what Dr. Phil and Oprah. Diane's former lover and his wife remain happily married. Steve Downs still lives in Oregon. The children, Christy and Danny, survived the ordeal. Danny is confined to a wheelchair but is a happy boy. Christy has grown into a very content teenager. Both consider the ending of their story to be happily ever after. In 1986, they moved into the home of their new loving adoptive parents, Fred
1: and Joanne Hughey. Oh, Oh, I love that part. It it gives me chills. chills. That I'm telling you of watching that movie, the the ending of it, knowing that he is the one that adopted them, I just know. like oh, there is a happy ending yeah. somewhere along you the line. You know, there's somebody
0: that loves you that's taking care of you, and that
1: explains his caring demeanor with her when she was on the stand and he was really trying to help her. Yeah, um, and I'm sure he grew to love her then, and she probably grew to love him because you know at that point her trust in adults was was gone. You yeah, know, she didn't trust people, and, and can so, you blame
0: her? No, I absolutely mean,
1: uh. not. Um. I'm, I was, that was my favorite part of the story. I know. So, this is not over because on July 11th, 1987, Diane managed to escape from the Oregon Women's Correctional Center. She was located 10 days later, approximately four blocks from the prison she had fled. She was found locked in an upstairs bedroom when officers stormed in the two-story house on State Street in Salem. Officers reported Diane looking stunned and surprised. (laughs) She was found with a 36-year-old male named Wayne, who was one of four men living in the house. All four men were charged with hindering prosecution. Police said they tracked her to the brown wood frame house through indentations on a notepad found in her cell. A test run on a piece of notebook paper by the FBI revealed the address, a map to the house, in the words, You are here.
0: Dang, that was smart. That was smart. <laughs> they didn't have Google back then. <laughs>
1: Sonia Hoyt, assistant superintendent of the woman's prison, said Downs was in a recreation yard with several other inmates, which she climbed the fences and hitched a ride. A motion sensor on the fence triggered an alarm, but by the time the guards reached the yard, Diane had disappeared.
0: Crazy lady that she
1: is. So she was caught, and I believe she had an additional five years added to her sentence on top of everything else for escaping. Yeah. And it's a miracle she didn't get pregnant in those 10 days that she was out. Because I guarantee you that was her her motive. Yeah. That was her motive, so. Yay! I know. I know. I'm so glad. uh, We did this story. This has been our number one story um, on Podbean. It has surpassed Carla Faye Tucker, which has always remained our number one. um, But dying downs within 24 hours of being posted shot up and surpassed Carla Faye Tucker. So thank you all for listening and your support, subscribing and uh, your comments on our Facebook page or Twitter. We really appreciate it because this makes it even more fun for us. Absolutely. Know? I mean we're never gonna stop because we love this. Exactly. But Exactly. But it just makes it that much more exciting to do when you know you have listeners out there who are enjoying what you're you know, what you're doing. Yeah. So So we have two new
0: iTunes reviews. Okay. One is from Squeaker1955, and she said, I just found this, and y'all are so good. Love this. Thank you, Squeaker. We love you. Okay, the last one is from Yo-Yo Martini. What's up, Yo-Yo? I I like your name. I know, right? And she said, I shared this with my favorite murderer, Dallas. Anyway, I hope you continue this project. I love 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 that you are dispatchers and drink beer <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: you are welcome <laughs> i like that your last name or has martini in it i your, know that's right your screen name there thank you guys again for being supportive of us yeah i mean that's i don't i keep saying thank you they're probably like all right jessica shut up we get yeah it. but we love it no, and you're so excited i hope
0: that y'all are thankful that this is gonna be two weeks in a
1: row. Oh yeah, we are <laughs> on a ball, guys. We are on a roll. <laughs> it's two weeks in a row. But to me, that's the excitement of so many listeners. I was I like, Amy, we gotta get the second part out, you know, I like know. because as a listener myself to podcasts, I don't want to wait three or four weeks for the second part to come I know out. That's so that. we managed to uh, be able to get that out today. So uh, find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter. Our email is ten ninety six. Crime, crime chicks. chicks at gmail
0: there's no dash in there it's just yep. 1096
1: no dash and our twitter is at 96 crime chicks at 96 crime oh at 96 crime I'm going to let you do this from now on because I suck at it you usually do this work <laughs> um, anyways um, so hit us up and who knows maybe in another couple weeks we'll have another good story for you guys be able to get it out to y'all if you have any suggestions suggestions, send them out yes alright guys thank you she looked like Princess Diana. My home phone never rings. Oh they hung up. Yeah. Oh my. Yes guys, I still have a home phone. <laughs> <laughs> and that is why he chose to let investigators Welch and West turn up the heat before they surrendered to the layoff. They dodged her. Did they have avoided her? No, they dogged her. Oh good God. <laughs> I was like that doesn't make any sense. Okay. But since mm-hmm, that good
0: job, Amy. <laughs> what did he oh, no That's what I meant.
1: Was he? Is that Crogdoll? <laughs> <laughs> this is a big word. Okay.
0: Their newspapers and their magazines already announced that Diane Downs had been taking woo. They been had been she'd been, been taking. She'd been taking in. <laughs> In the wake of the impeding trial, Diane saw it as her counselor the brilliant and highly esteemed attorney Melvin Belly Because of the high profile. Okay, not
1: bad. Let me start that over. Go ahead and start off because it's impending, not impeding. So just start in the <laughs> beginning. But I was like, i oh, are going to let that one slide. <laughs> to the windowing down and shadowed and molded for this case. Whoa.
0: Yeah, that's windowed down
1: uh, and shaped. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the citizenry of the county. Is that right? Mm hmm. Okay, citizenry. So Centering the 22 caliber Ruger and to some tilt what? Adalacia. I'm not saying tit on here <laughs> and to some even to her promis- promiscuity. Okay, I'm gonna start even to her promiscuity. Okay,
0: okay, good job, Amy. Next
1: on Sun Sunderdrome, Sunderdrome, Sunderman. Sunderman. God,
0: fabulous.